0: Good morning. Will you uh, pray with me? Let's, let's bow and ask for God's help to hear his word. Fathers, we come to uh, this time. We just want to set it aside to uh, open our ears and our hearts to your message, to your truth. Lord, we know the, the real battleground is, is not so much in our minds. Uh, it's in our hearts, Lord, um, because we just have this uh, built-in reluctance to uh, let you truly be the Lord and King of our lives. Uh, I see it in myself. I see it in others. Lord, I just pray by your Spirit, you would give us the mercy and the grace to uh, embrace your message as life-giving, life Uh, delighting, joyful, truthful, uh, something that we should just confidently build our lives around. So, God, uh, speak to us by your Spirit and help us respond in a way that magnifies your mercy and your goodness. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the incredible gift you've given us. Help us, Lord, just honor him and treasure him today. We pray in his name. Amen. morning I want to start with a little quiz so we're going to have a quiz but you can relax it's true false right anybody can pass a true false test so uh, we're going to put three statements up on the screen and as each one comes up you decide in your head you don't need to say it out loud uh, whether you think each one is true or false okay and everybody do your own work Right? Here we go. First one God wants you to be happy. Is that true or false? Number two, God gives you money to make you happy. True or false? And then three, money makes you happy when you spend a lot of it on yourself. All right. Now let's check our answers with the answer key, namely the Bible. What does God say about each one of these statements? Number one, God wants you to be happy. That is true. That is true. In John 15, 11, Jesus tells his followers, I have told you these things so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. Romans 15, 13 says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him. It is true. Now, sometimes people will say, no, no, God doesn't want us to be happy, he wants us to be holy. I think that represents a serious misunderstanding of what it means to be holy. To be genuinely holy is to be happy. Holiness is not sour and grim. Holiness is being forgiven of all of our sins and set forth. Free from all of the junk of a life without God. Holiness is being right with God because of Jesus dying for us and knowing that we will never be condemned, ever, never punished. And we can experience God's presence in our lives. So real holiness brings real happiness. And it all begins when we put our trust in Jesus that's true. God wants us to be genuinely, truly, authentically happy. Second statement, God gives you money to make you happy. That is also true. 1 Timothy 6.17, command those who are rich in this present world to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our what? Enjoyment. Whatever God gives us, he gives us for our ultimate joy, and that would include the money he gives us, so that is true. That brings us to statement number three, money makes you happy when you spend a lot on yourself. In other words, the more money you've got, the more you spend on yourself, the happier you will be. Well, before I tell you the biblical answer, which you've probably already guessed, I just want to quote here from a few famous millionaires who speak from personal experience. Mr. W.H. Vanderbilt said, The care of $2 million is enough to kill anyone. John Jacob Astor, the one for whom Astoria, Oregon is named, he said, I am the most miserable man on earth. John D. Rockefeller said, I have made many millions, but they have brought me no happiness. Henry Ford said, I was happier when I did a mechanic's job. And Andrew Carnegie said, millionaires seldom smile. Interesting, isn't it? The statement is false. And this is why Jesus said, don't store up treasures for yourselves on earth, but instead store up treasures in heaven. And it's why he said, it is a happier thing. It is more blessed to give than to receive. It is true that God gives us money to make us happy but the way money makes us happy is not by accumulating it and then spending most of it on ourselves the way money makes us happy is when we use it to accomplish God's purposes in our lives and in this world this is really important for us to know because as American Christians many of us find ourselves with more money than we absolutely need to live. And the question we have to ask is, why does God do that? Why does God give us more than we need, especially when so many other people in the world have less than they need? Why does God do that? Well, here's the answer. I'll give it to you in the words of author Randy Alcorn i think he's right on he says god prospers us in other words god gives us more than we need not to raise our standard of living but to raise our standard of giving in other words at some point when we've got you know, a good and decent standard of living, and God prospers us beyond that, he doesn't do that so we can just keep on ramping up our standard of living, but rather that we would ramp up and keep increasing our standard of giving. Now this is a weird idea. This is really weird. It is not normal to believe this. In our culture, the more money you make, The more money you spend on yourself, you know, you're supposed to buy bigger, nicer houses, bigger, nicer cars, nicer clothes, more stuff, more stuff, more stuff, more stuff, more stuff, more stuff. stuff. That's the American way. Well, maybe it is, but it's not the biblical way. When it comes to handling money we've got to realize there's a lot more at stake here than our economy and i realize with the economy in the tank and everybody concerned about that you know you hear a lot about it and you hear economists say well we just got to spend 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 because that's the only way we're going to get out of this trouble we have a consumer economy but there's more at stake in handling our money than just our economy you know what's at stake what's at stake is the joy of millions of people in the world who need to hear and know the love and truth of Jesus Christ. And so, for the sake of their joy and for the sake of our own joy, we need to be abnormal when it comes to money. We need to go against the culture. God prospers us not to raise our standard of giving, or living, but our standard of giving. Now, I want to show you this from the Bible. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9 are probably the biggest section we have in all of scripture on money and giving. And in chapter 9, the apostle Paul explains he's talking to a group of people, a group of Jesus followers in a place called Corinth, who have more than they need. And Paul is appealing to them to give from their abundance, and he's going to give that to some believers who have less than they need in in Judea. And so he's explaining to these people who have more than they need why God will give them more than they need. And so he says in verse 11, you will be made rich in every way so that, okay, now stop for a minute. And now ask yourself how you would finish that sentence. You will be made rich in every way so that, what? So that you can have more and more stuff, bigger and nicer stuff, so that you can live in luxury, so that you can enjoy a worry-free retirement where you can indulge yourselves? That's not what it says. Look what it says. You will be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in in thanksgiving to god when god prospers you he does so that you can know the joy of giving so that others can know the joy of god meeting their needs through you and then give thanks to god god gets the glory we get the joy god prospers us not to raise our standard of living but to raise our standard of giving now if that's true how do we do that because really everything in our culture is going to push us in the other direction all of the advertising you know so much influence is given toward just encouraging us to keep on raising our standard of living how do we not do that how do we instead raise our standard of giving well, we're going to look at another passage here that, on money that's going to help us. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 17 through 19. I read a little bit of verse 17 earlier, but let's go ahead and look at it. 1 Timothy 6, nine, 17 through 19. What is the Lord telling us here? Take a look. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, Or put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain. But to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them, command the rich in this present world, to do good, to be rich in good deeds, to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasures for themselves, As a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. How do you raise your standard of giving? Three essentials I see here. First, you got to think like a rich person. Think like a rich person. Now we read this, and these verses say, is they're talking about those who are rich in this present world. And as much as I would like to think that's referring to somebody else, you know, those 1% we keep hearing so much about, as much as I would like this to just be talking about somebody else, I think I'm included. And you may be too. Now, maybe not, but maybe so. How do you know? Well, take a look at Proverbs 30, verse 8. The writer of this, this is a prayer. He's saying to the Lord, give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Now, if you look at it, there are three levels of wealth here. Start at the bottom. The bottom level is what we would call not enough. Poverty. Your basic needs are not being met. Then you come up a level, I'd call this level just enough. I've got my daily bread. My needs are met. But then we've got another level above that, and that's riches. What is that? Well, that would be more than enough. I've got more than just my daily bread, more than just my basic needs. And if that's the case, then if that's true of us, then we should probably consider ourselves rich in the biblical sense. Now, why is that important to think this way? Well, because Jesus said, from everyone who has been given much, much will be demanded. And from the one who has been entrusted with much, much more will be asked. So I need to think, I need to ask myself, have I been entrusted with much? Well, if I quit thinking about what I don't have and instead I think about what I do have, I have to answer yes. I have been given much because I have more than my daily bread. My paycheck goes toward more than simply meeting my family's most basic needs for food and shelter. And so what this is saying is I've got to look at what it is going toward and I've got to see if maybe I need to adjust my standard of living so I can raise my standard of giving. So you, you got to think like a rich person and see if, if that applies. Okay, second essential, put your hope in God. Put your hope in God, not in wealth verse 17 command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth which is so uncertain but to put their hope in God this raises a very critical question for us where are we really putting our hope where are we putting it in other words what are we trusting in to meet our needs What are we trusting in to take care of us? What are we trusting in to satisfy our desires? Does our sense of security in life come from having a relationship with a God who is reliable and trustworthy and who promises to meet our needs? Or does our security come from having a good job and money in the bank? Now, don't get me wrong. It's good to have a job and money in the bank but we shouldn't put our hope in that why because jesus says it's so uncertain i mean if this you know economic situation we've been in for a while teaches us anything it teaches us that what you're trusting in could be gone tomorrow that job you've got that money in your bank might not be there So don't put your hope in that. Don't make that the thing you're counting on to give you security and peace. Instead, put your hope in the one who can meet your needs and who promises to take care of you. Seek first God's kingdom and he will provide. He's the one who meets your needs. He's the one that provides you with a good job and with money in the bank and everything else, good things to enjoy. Now, doing that, putting your hope in God, how does that help you raise your standard of giving? This is how. Because if you trust in God, it sets you free from things that will keep you from being generous. When you trust God to meet your needs, when you believe that God is going to meet your needs, it frees you from the compulsion to have to keep laying up treasure on earth to find security in it. When you believe that God is going to meet your needs, it frees you from the illusion that you own your possessions. Because we don't. God does. When you believe that God will meet your needs, it frees you from the fear that if you're generous, you're going to lose out. it frees us it sets us free to be generous when we put our hope in god now you might ask all right what does that mean if i trust god then i don't need a budget i don't i shouldn't buy insurance i shouldn't plan for retirement no it doesn't mean that at all in fact god expects us uh, i mentioned earlier in this series God says to those who are who have families who are responsible for their families he says the one who will not provide it's not that he can't provide but he chooses not to provide for his own family has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever so God expects us to be responsible God expects us to take care of our family's needs. But here's the thing. Okay, putting your hope in God doesn't mean you don't need a budget, but it will change your budget. Putting your hope in God doesn't mean you shouldn't buy insurance, but it will affect how much insurance you buy. Putting your hope in God doesn't mean you don't have to plan for retirement, but it will affect how you plan for retirement, because the goal is different. The goal is not to lavish luxury on ourselves, the goal is to lay up treasure in heaven by living simply and wisely and generously. So it looks different. You plan for retirement differently, you buy insurance differently, you budget differently when you're putting your hope in God, not in wealth. Philippians 419 says God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. One way or another, he will. When you're putting your hope in him. Wealth will let you down. But God never will. So we need to put our hope in him and not in wealth, and that'll help us raise our standard of giving. Okay, one more. Essential number three. Give like your life depends on it. Give like your life depends on it. Probably sounds like an overstatement, but look at look, verse 18. tells us to do good, to be rich in good deeds, to be generous, to be willing to share. Why? Verse 19, to lay up treasure for yourself as a firm foundation for the coming age so that you may take hold of the life that is truly life. Look at it. Look at it. This is not talking about something trivial. This is not talking about something optional. This is not talking about something that doesn't matter. This is talking about taking hold of true life as God defines it. So what does that mean? Does that mean we can buy eternal life by being generous, by giving a lot to charity? No, it can't mean that. It cannot mean that. The Bible is so clear on this that eternal life is a free gift from God that we receive when we put our trust in Jesus Christ and say, Jesus, you be Lord of my life, not me. You you make me right with God because I can't so many verses we could look at but here's just a couple ephesians 2 8 9 says for it is by grace you have been saved it is by grace that you're made right with god It is by grace that you're forgiven of your sin grace means gift free gift this um, you've been saved by grace through faith and this not from yourselves it is the free gift of god not of works so that no one can boast see if we were saved by our giving if we were saved by our giving, that means we'd be saved by our efforts and not by God's grace. So it doesn't mean that. Well, why then does it say in 1 Timothy 6.19 that we take hold of life by being generous and willing to share? Because being a generous giver proves that you really do trust in God and not in money. Being a generous giver, being rich in good deeds, by being generous and willing to share, that proves that you really do trust in God and not in money. See, it is easy to say we believe in Jesus. It is easy to say we've received God's gift of eternal life. How do you know if you really have eternal life? How do you take hold of it in the sense that you have confidence that it's yours, that it's real? It's by how you live. It's by how you live. It's by doing good. It's by being rich in good deeds. It's by being generous and willing to share. You walk the talk. You don't just talk the talk. So you give like your life depends on it. All right, now we come to the inevitable question How much? How much should we give? How much is generous? Well, I have a couple of recommendations based on what the Bible teaches. First, start with the tithe. Tithe means 10%. Start there. Start with the tithe. Why? Well, in the Old Testament law, the tithe, 10%, was God's minimum standard for his people. That was the minimum standard. Leviticus 27.30 says, A tithe of everything from the land, whether grain from the soil or fruit from the trees, belongs to the Lord. It is holy to the Lord. 10%. That was an agricultural economy, so people weren't going to jobs and earning cash. You know, they were growing crops and harvesting them, and the Lord says 10% belongs to the Lord. Now, that's not all. There were free will offerings that went over and above this, but the tithe, the 10% was the basic standard, and it was to come right off the top. Okay, Proverbs 3, 9, and 10, honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. The first fruits. You didn't wait till everything came in and then decide to give. You gave your, from your first fruits. And notice what he says. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. Why? Because it shows you're trusting in God. That was what it was all about. So that's the Old Testament basic standard. Now you get to the New Testament and the tithe is not stated as a law. The New Testament standard is generosity. Remember 2 Corinthians 9.11. You will be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. So that's the standard. Be generous. Okay, but think about it this way. If the tithe was the minimum offering in the Old Testament and the New Testament standard is generosity, Would anything less than a tithe really be considered generous? Does God expect American Christians who live in the wealthiest society in history, does God expect us to give less than he expected of the poorest Israelite? Would God call that generous? I don't think so. So I think you start with the tithe. That's a good place to start. Now, what if you can't afford a full 10%? I'm going to quote from Randy Alcorn here and let him get in trouble. Just <laughs> pass the buck. Randy Alcorn says this He says, When people tell me they can't afford to tithe, I ask them, If your income was reduced by 10%, would you die? <laughs> they say no. And I say, well, then you've just admitted you can't afford a tithe, it's just that you don't want to. He says, I'm not saying it's easy to give. I'm saying it's easier to live on 90% of your income inside the will of God than on 100% of your income outside of the will of God. That's a great point. Now, maybe that one of the things we have to do if we can't afford a tithe is we've got to look at our standard of living and see if it needs some adjusting. So my recommendation is you start with the tithe if you can. If you really can't, well then, make it a goal you work toward. So that's recommendation number one. Here's the second. Strive to go beyond. Start with the tithe, and then strive to go beyond. The tithe... Is God's historical method to get us on the path of giving? It, it's like the training to get us in the habit, to get us trained to give, to honor Him with our giving. So this gets us on the path. It's a great place to start, but it's it's not the place to stop. If you want to put it this way, it's the floor of giving, not the ceiling. And you think about it. What's our goal here? If our goal, if we really believe what Jesus is saying, and our goal is to lay up treasure in heaven, well, then we're not going to want to try to give as little as we can. We're going to want to try to give as much as we can because we want to lay up more and more treasure in heaven. I mean, if that's what he's saying, and that's what he is saying, and we're going to take him seriously. So it's not like, well, I just I want to I give what I can get away with, the bare minimum. That's crazy. That means we're not really thinking the way Jesus wants us to be thinking. Luke six thirty eight, Jesus says, give and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over, it will be poured into your lap. Now look at this. For the, with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. How do you want God to measure out blessing to you? then use that same standard of measurement in your giving away. So if you want to measure it out with a teaspoon, then this is saying God will measure his blessing with a teaspoon. If you want to use a bucket, then God will use a bucket. And if you want to use a bathtub, God will use a bathtub or whatever, dump truck. In other words, he's saying the more you give, the more you gain in eternal treasure. That's what he's saying. Now, please don't confuse this. Please don't miss this. I'm not talking about giving as a strategy for gaining earthly wealth. You will hear that message preached on TV. But Jesus said, store up treasure in heaven. He did not say, strive to become wealthy on earth. He didn't say that. But the fact remains, I think what he is saying is you can't outgive God. You can't give to the point where God's saying, I fold. I I I just can't keep up with that. Never. All right, so where where should you give it? Well, one of the reasons that God puts us in churches. God puts us in churches so that we can share our gifts and our talents and our resources with one another to accomplish his priorities. And so we prayerfully and sometimes painfully seek to put together a budget and then say, okay, Well, we think in light of how God's prospering us, this is what he wants us to do, and then we give to make it happen. But now maybe that seems kind of impersonal, kind of indirect, if you don't know the details. So I'm going to take the liberty of showing you just a few of the things that your gifts to this church help make happen. All right? Well, a good portion of it goes to personnel so that God's word can be taught and preached so that we can have groups and classes and worship services and outreach events that are staffed and are organized so that people can come and connect with God and they can connect with one another, build those connections, deepen those connections so that they can grow, so that they can love, so that they can serve. And we've got a couple of interns who are getting the training. And having been an intern, I have to tell you, this has been a wonderful thing that this church has done for years, to gain the training and the experience they need to be able to invest their lives in vocational ministry leadership. The Zone. The Zone is an after-school program that equips high school students to serve middle school students and to reach them with the love and truth of Jesus Christ. And if you saw that in action, you saw those high school students teaching the Word of God and loving on those middle school students, which is not always the easiest thing to do. (laughs) To reach them with the gospel, it it is beyond cool. Missions. Got Jonathan and Heidi Bamford are missionaries in the Philippines. What are they doing? They're translating the Bible into a Filipino dialect, so that more people can have the Word of God in their own language. Now they've invested a lot of time in building relationships and learning the language, and now they're translating the Scripture into that language. We also partner with missionaries serving the people of Thailand, Lebanon, China, Uganda, other African mission uh, nations. Locally, we support open house ministries. This is one of the most beautiful ministries I've ever seen. They serve homeless families with shelter, with food, with child care, training, counseling, helping people get over the brokenness in their own lives so that they can become self-supporting and healthy. Options, 360. Pregnancy Resource Center provides compassionate care to women with unintended pregnancies to help them make life-affirming choices. Now, those are just a few of the things. If you want to check out more, you can go to the website and look around. Church is a partnership. And we give so that we can do God's work together. And I would say it like this. And if this sounds self serving because I'm employed by the church, you can distrust my motives if you want to. Okay? But I'll tell you this I believed this before I ever became an employee of the church. Just as the tithe is the amount to start giving, I believe the local church is the place to start giving. And then, as we go beyond the tithe, We can look for additional partnerships beyond the church where we can get involved and we can give and we can accomplish even more of God's work because there is no lack of opportunity. There is simply no lack of opportunity for doing God's work. And that's really what I want to end with. Giving ultimately is all about God. We really have to grasp this. It's about trusting God. It's about thanking God. It's about relying on God. It's about honoring God. You saw that quote from Proverbs about honoring the Lord with your first fruits. It's about using God's money to do God's work to experience God's joy. It's all about God. I want to uh, close it, close our series, close this message. I want to have you look at something that's in your worship folder. It's a piece of paper of this color. In fact, there should be a couple of them in each folder, and it's called My Giving Covenant. And I'm going to invite you to look this over, and I'm going to encourage you to sign it, but you're not going to turn it in. Okay, This is not between you and me. This is not between you and the church. This is not between you and any other person except God. This is just you and God. But I would invite you to look it over and sign it as a way of saying, very practically, God, I believe you. I believe you when you say that you are the owner, I am the manager. I believe it when you say that if I honor you with the first fruits of my income, that you will provide for my needs. I believe you when you say it brings more happiness to give than to receive. And I believe that my joy and the joy of millions of others depends on how I use your money. And I'm grateful for what you've done And I want to give like my life depends on it. So let's look at the covenant. Let's read it over. And then you can decide whether that is an expression of your heart and you'd like to sign it. Then I would say take it home. Either put it in your Bible where you'll see it often or stick it on your fridge. Tape it to your mirror. Somewhere where you will be reminded to be abnormal to go against the cultural impulses that push you to keep raising your standard of living and instead say no to that and say yes to the joy and the promises of God and keep raising your standard of giving. So whatever helps you do that, that's all this is intended to be, is just a reminder of what God has promised and a statement that we say yes to that and take him seriously so here's what it says number one i affirm god's full ownership of me and everything entrusted to me number two i set aside the first fruits at least 10 percent of the wages i receive as holy and belonging exclusively to the lord number three out of the remaining treasures god entrusts to me i seek to make generous gifts Number four, I ask God to teach me to give generously to his purposes, including helping the poor and reaching the lost. And number five, recognizing that I cannot take earthly treasures from this world, I determine to lay them up as heavenly treasures for Christ's glory and the eternal good of others and myself. If you want to, you can sign that, date it, and then stick it somewhere where you'll see it. Let's pray together. Father, it's because you are good and because you give that we're here. We're here because you have been generous to us. And the scope of your generosity is mind-boggling. To think that you so love the world that you gave your son. And we want to thank you for your indescribable gift. And Lord, will you help us? Will you help us in this crazy culture we live in and we help us fight against just our own selfish impulses and see that it really is in our best interest to trust you because you are the one who gives all good things that we can enjoy them you are the one who promises to meet our needs you are the one who alone can give us true security and true peace and so lord we want to cast our lot with you and say yes lord i trust you i believe you Help me give the way you want me to. Help me be a generous person. Help me be like Jesus. And we'll thank you and praise you for your goodness to us in Jesus' name. Amen.